We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Hey, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Rotoviz College Football Show. I'm your host, Stefan LeCoe, and I'm joined by the lovely and wonderful Jordan and Matt, and you guys can fight it out as to which one is which. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> doing good. Nice. Well, <laughs> Caught me off guard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matt, Matt was telling me he's a little grumpy because college football isn't fun anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, I, like, I get why Texas Tech made the move. But they just took away the most fun offense in all of college football by getting rid of uh, Cliff Kingsbury. And then I'm sitting there just waiting for like something good to happen in college football. And then I get news that... Return only, of the Mac. They just... How do you bring back a coach who was relevant in 1998? Like... It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. You, it's just, we've moved so far. We don't need have to bring we, back bad coaches. Have we though? <laughs> where do you I think, mean, where do you look, think Kingsbury ends up? Uh, an offensive coordinator for someone who likes fun. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, I think he's, he's going to get phone calls from a bunch of NFL teams. I don't know if you guys are talking NFL or strictly college, but I mean. No, I, I actually think NFL is where he ends up as well. Yeah, I agree. I could see if like the Rams coaching staff gets poached this offseason, like I could see him being one of the guys that they give a call. I I would love to see uh so the Jags just got rid of their offensive <laughs> coordinator. I'd love to see him end up in Jacksonville. Get him uh oh, it could be nice. It could be very nice. Yeah, but they don't have anyone throwing the ball so it doesn't matter. Yet. Yeah, I mean they have Cody. I'm a Kessler baby. I'm a Kessler truther. Speaking of the NFL, how we got like one week left uh, until the playoffs? How are you guys doing? Well, the one the leagues I care about, 
not killing it. My work league, killing it. So I at least have bragging rights at work. There you go. Yeah, I'm I'm ten and two in my home league. Uh, I lost by like one and a half points just this last week. I'd be eleven and one, but I know the listeners really care about that a lot. So absolutely. Well, I'm <laughs> I I clinched in two of my leagues. One of them, it's all on the line this week. There's three teams. No, there's four teams fighting for three spots. So as long as I don't lose big, I should be okay. But the reason we talk about football, fantasy football, that is is because we want to remind our listeners about our our Patreon opportunity for you. So please do sign up for that. It gets you an extra show every month. So just five bucks a month, and you can listen to all of our content, plus get an extra show on Sunday mornings. So definitely do that. Become a Rotoviz Radio Patreon user today, and you can ex- you can join our exclusive community of listeners and access that premium content. So as much fun as we love to have talking about our fantasy football teams, the only reason we're able to do so well is because of the Rotoviz community. So definitely check that out. Um, it's still available for you. The playoffs are coming up. So you, you, this is definitely the time. It's worth the five bucks just to get you through the month, get you that championship, and all will be well. Today we have a lot to cover. We're going to get into our quarterback discussion, looking at the draft class and potential draft class. Some people we obviously don't know for sure if they're going to be um, staying another year in college or joining the NFL rank. So some of it will be projection. But for the most part, we got a nice conversation lined up for you there. Then we'll get into the recap of last week. Another awesome week for yours truly, um, which was awesome for me. I just am sitting on cloud nine. I refuse to make any more picks just so that I don't high risk my, my record right now. And then, of course, we'll get into looking ahead to next week, some of the big conference championship matchups uh, that we have to look to. But... Let's start off with a quarterback discussion. Gentlemen, I know you've been looking at some prospects. Matt, why don't you lead the way? So I think my biggest takeaway as I've been kind of getting through this is even in like a dynasty super flex league, I'm not racing to try and take any of these guys as the top pick, Um, even my favorite. But we'll start off with one of the guys that I initially thought I liked a lot. And the more I dug in, the more I'm kind of growing wary and that's ryan finley uh out of north carolina state uh the positives for him is he is on three consecutive or four consecutive years with uh, a 60 plus percent completion percentage his adjusted yards per attempt is uh, comfortably over seven at 7.6 and his three seasons at north carolina state where he's been the starter um each one of those years he's had a better than two to one touchdown interception ratio um, he's six foot four. He's two, uh, 212 pounds or that's what he's listed at on sports reference. Um, the, the sort of red flags for me is he's a red shirt senior. So he's really old. Um, and he was a boy, a stra- uh, transfer from Boise state. And he sat behind a guy we're going to talk about here in a little bit, Brett Rippon. So he's a former three-star quarterback. Uh, he was the 51st quarterback in the uh, class of 2013, and that sounds like a really long time ago because it is a really long time ago. Um, <laughs> yep. Some of the names in that class, um, Christian Hackenberg, um, who has already flamed out of the NFL, Jared Goff, who is trying to be the MVP of the NFL, and JT Barrett, who I thought he played 115 years at Ohio State, <laughs> and I loved him, um, but so those are some of the names that were uh, in his high school class. Um, and then so because I, I looked at how old he was, he's, he's going to be uh, 24 and a half when he's drafted. Um, so just taking a look at uh, some of the quarterbacks that have been drafted over the age of 24, there have only been four quarterbacks since 2000 taken in the top two rounds that were over the age of 24. And the list of names there is kind of ugly. It's Chad Pennington. Uh, Brandon Whedon, John Beck, and Ryan Tannehill. So when you're talking about a group where Ryan Tannehill is comfortably the best, um, or might is at least arguably the best, uh, that's not a great group. So history's kind of not. Truther. Just, just FYI. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Loved I didn't realize him. you like being wrong. Loved him. Um, so I, I mean, he's an interesting prospect in a pretty weak class. I would say it's it's probably an okay year for him. He will. I think he's a top two round pick right now, but I'd be wary I, for dynasty purposes. I mean, even in super flex leagues, I'm not even sure I'd waste a first round pick on him, especially in this year when you know how much I love the wide receivers. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, he, he an NFL comp, I mean, maybe it's just the NC State connection, but I just feel like you're getting another Mike Glennon, you know, a little shorter version, but I just don't see a whole lot special with with Finley. But that's, you know, that's just, I guess, both of us. But <laughs> what do you think, Jordan? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the way I view Finley is kind of through the lens of how I feel in general about this class or this potential class, which uh, Matt kind of hit on that it's, you know, kind of subpar. Um, and I, I I guess I kind of feel the same way uh, as you two guys. I don't necessarily think that he, he has a tremendous amount of upside uh, at the NFL level, but you know, at the same time, I think that he has a good chance of ending up on a roster. Um, and, you know, it's probably going to be a long road for him to find relevance. But uh, uh, we we see some pretty poor NFL quarterback play every week. So you never quite know. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> All right. And I'll get on to the uh, second one that I took a look at. Um, and that's Dwayne Haskins. Now, I've heard whispers now on both sides, and this makes me sad. Uh, for a while, I was hearing he was pretty heavy lean to return back to school. Um, and I was just listening to the 11 Warriors podcast on my drive home from work, and they're convinced he's gone. So that's concerning for me because I really like him as a college player. Um, he's a redshirt sophomore, so obviously he still has two years of eligibility. So I'm still Fingers crossed because I, I do think he'd actually serve well as another one. He's a former four-star quarterback. Um, he was eighth in his class, so substantially better. Um, he was a member of the Elite 11 class in 2015, and uh, six foot three, 220. So I think a lot of people uh, remember his breakout game last year was the Michigan game again in 2017. He came in um, following the JT Barrett injury, but I actually went back and looked at the stat line. I I remember him doing more, but in when I looked back at the line, he was six of seven for 94 yards. So even in his big moment where everyone kind of saw him break out and uh, become this like superstar, and we were all kind of wondering why he was was not the starter, he didn't throw for a touchdown. He was accurate, kind of like we've learned to expect from him. But it wasn't really this like special thing. It was just that I think he provided a different threat for a passing. Right now, I've I pretty much haven't seen him. If he is projected to declare, no one really has him outside of the top two or three QBs in this class. And he's got, I mean, his arm strength is going to be up there with anyone in this class. So I can't really see him staying lower than two. And I mean, from a personal standpoint, he's he's already had the best season any quarterback has had in Ohio State history, and he's really really starting to trend towards um, being better than any quarterback in Big Ten history. Adjusted yards per attempt is at 9.9, and considering that he's really not a big runner, he's not really getting the boost that some of the running quarterbacks get from that um, stat line. And touchdown ratio is 40. Uh, touchdown to interception ratio is 41 to seven, and his completion percentage it did finally dip below 70 percent, but he's at 68.9. So, I mean, there's really not a whole lot of holes to poke in there, other than the fact that he's going to have started. 12 games or probably 14 games when it's all said and done. Sure. And that, that is a concern I think for a lot of people, but I mean, we saw even with like Trubisky having a short college career doesn't necessarily dock you too much on the NFL draft, especially in a quarterback class that would be a little, um, a little lean uh, this year. Quick question for you though, Matt, do you think him declaring for the NFL draft is tied at all to whether or not they get into the playoff and how they would maybe perform in the playoff. Like, for example, if they end up getting in and winning a national championship, do you think he's more likely to leave? It's sort of dependent. Like, if he got, I mean, if he, we just saw him have this amazing game against Michigan. If he were to do that against Alabama and then against Clemson, he's gone. I think it would be absolutely ridiculous for him to return another year. I actually, I, I do think if we miss the playoff, I think there's a strong chance he returns. But I also kind of think that there's going to be another big exodus from Ohio State this year. So he may just want to jump before things go sour, particularly if he is aware if this is Urban Meyer's last season. But I I really don't know. The fact that I heard whisper or heard on the Beat Writer podcast that they think Tate Martell's the starter next year – I, 
I think he's probably leaning towards he's going this year. Okay, now I have a question for the fanboy in you, uh, and that if you could choose right now that he would be guaranteed to come back, because I'm assuming you would want him to come back. So if you were guaranteed that he would come back, not knowing what next year would look like, but he would be your quarterback, but you miss, but in order for that to happen, you miss the playoff, would you take it? Sure. Okay. Just, just I'm not it. super attached to the playoff this year because I don't <laughs> think we're winning it this yeah, year. Yeah, no, that's fair. Cool. Jordan, do you have any uh, thoughts on Haskins? No, I think Matt, uh, yeah, Matt has pretty thorough. scouted out pretty, yeah, pretty, thorough. pretty yeah. well. I've yeah. watched him a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can pick up real quick. I uh, I took a look at three more guys, uh, run through them pretty quickly here. Uh, first, I took a look at Drew Locke uh, from Missouri, true senior, former four-star quarterback. He was the 98th overall player in his class, according to 247 Sports. Um, he had his breakout season in 2017 where he threw 44 touchdowns and had a 10.2 adjusted yards per attempt, which is extremely, extremely impressive. Um, he passes the NFL eye test, uh, which we know is important. Uh, he's six foot four, 225 pounds. He's currently 22 years old. So he's a little bit younger than, um, well, he's actually substantially younger than Finley, like Matt mentioned um, with that cohort of 24 plus year olds. So we don't really have to worry about that. His numbers have regressed a bit, uh, in 2018, which will be his final season. Um, he's actually, he's actually completing 63% of his throws, which is the highest of any season, but his adjusted yards per attempt has dropped and he's not throwing nearly as many touchdowns as last year. And his struggles against sec competition, um, are probably pretty well known at this point, but, I took a look at it a little bit closer, and 66% of his career attempts have come against SEC teams. 31 of his 39 career interceptions have come in conference, while only 47 of his 96 career touchdowns have come against SEC teams. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that Locke is an outlier because SEC competition, as we know, is generally pretty good. There's a ton of NFL, uh, future NFL players playing in SEC secondaries, so I can't say that Locke is the only one who has struggled against SEC competition, but it's pretty pronounced, and I think it's something worth uh, at least mentioning. And looking back, uh, Daniel Jeremiah from NFL.com wrote a article in June of this year, so before this final season, and he went as far to say as he saw similarities in Locke to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I read that um, one too. Yeah. So now, obviously, this was before we saw Patrick Mahomes completely explode onto the NFL scene. So this should be looked at as not necessarily hyperbole because we didn't necessarily know what Mahomes was going to do as a full time starter. I think we all hoped and we all thought that we knew, but we didn't really see it um, in June. So it's kind of interesting. Um, they're both big. Uh, Jeremiah likes, you know his uh, locks arm strength and his ability to extend plays. So, you know, I can't necessarily knock it completely, but knowing what we know now, it seems like a bit of a stretch, but that's with the knowledge that we have now. So that's kind of what I got on lock. Yeah, no, I like it. Uh, a lot of per, like a lot of the, uh, and it's way too early to be doing mock drafts, but a lot of the mock drafts I've seen uh, have him going super early and going to Jacksonville. Uh, which would be an interesting landing spot for him, uh, which would definitely mean he would have a very terrible, terrible NFL career because all Jacksonville Jaguar quarterbacks <laughs> outside of Mark Brunel are just awful. That's my take. <laughs> <laughs> Written in stone. Yeah. Um, Forever. No, David I, Garrard's mad at you. <laughs> yeah, he, he was fun for a year. I, I I do think Drew Locke is a type of guy, like you mentioned, pass, like passing the NFL eye test. He's one of these types of players that I could see once going to the combine, like even if he doesn't throw or do everything that his, his stock climbs pretty quick. And just the way the NFL is where they always seem to reach for quarterbacks. I think Drew Locke is a lock to go super early and I had to do it. Sorry, boys. I think he's a lock to go early in the, early in the draft. If I were going to pick a quarterback from this class that I actually am willing to stake my, like any hope on becoming a, a decent pro locks, probably the guy um, I've seen some other mock drafts in the same vein about uh, put a guy that we won't cover uh, up in the top five, 
And I, I think it's ridiculous that anyone would, and that's Daniel Jones. I'll just say it now, but um, if anyone would take Daniel Jones ahead of Drew Locke, I honestly just think they're, they're out of their mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, seamless transition right into Brett Rippon, uh, who Matt mentioned earlier when he was talking about Ryan Finley. Um, he's a true senior. He was also a four-star consensus recruit, a top 15 quarterback nationally in his class. He's also 22 years old, so not necessarily an age issue there. He's a bit undersized. They have him listed at six foot two, 202 pounds. So he's so, 5'11"? Well, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, that's the, a, yeah. But, I mean, we should say that, like, these, these heights and weights are obviously pre-combine, pre-pro day. So, you know, take them with a grain of salt. But um, Rippon has been a consistent producer. He started basically every single game all four years of his time at Boise State. Um, he's completed over 61% of his throws every single year. Um, he's had an AYA of 7.9 or higher every single year, career 8.8, which is solid. 88 touchdowns, 29 interceptions, uh, career 64% completion percentage. So he's been solid in pretty much every area. Uh, some of what I've read from scouts, um, people that watch way more tape than I do, um, I've heard them refer to him as more of a touch thrower, uh, lacking elite arm strength which I think if that is the case, that is a red flag and something that we definitely need to pay attention to because, uh, again, back to Pat Mahomes, uh, we saw his elite arm talent before the draft, and I think that was a big reason why a lot of us latched onto him. But at the same time, you know, Josh Allen, who the I guess the, the results are still out, too early to make a call on him, but he had a super big arm, and I think that was one reason why he was drafted so highly. So... If Rippon does, in fact, have kind of a weak arm, I think that that would, will hurt him at the next level. But I think there is something to be said for being so productive for such a long stretch of time, albeit against primarily G5, G5 teams playing in the Mountain West. But he's kind of a guy that, again, I don't necessarily know if the, the, the ceiling is really elite with Rippon, but I think that he is competent. And if he, if he does well... Um, in the workout process leading up to the draft, I could see him going in, you know, as like a day two uh, type guy who could hang around on a roster and in the right circumstance, perhaps become a starter. But I'm not super high on Rippon. I just think that again, in this class, through the lens that I view it through, he's at least worthy of um, discussion. I actually agree with you. I kind of, I see him, Weirdly similar to a guy we mentioned a little bit ago, uh, Cody Kessler. Yeah. Um, I, I see him sort of in that same one vein. He's he's very productive and he's his AYA is is very good. He does his turn. I mean his interception touchdown to interception ratio. It it, it is strong. Um, I don't see a lot of things. If the criticism on him is going to be size or arm strength, that's going to be why I compared him to Kessler in that sense. I think he'll be a really strong backup one day for a team. And I think there's no reason why he is going to be drafted. If he does kind of fall, if he is kind of on that lower end, I, I wouldn't take a guy like Finley two rounds ahead of him for sure. I would definitely be looking more for a guy like uh, Rippon. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's uh, let's cap this off with uh, one of my favorite players this year, the fighting Will Greer. Yeah, so closing out with Will Greer, he's a redshirt senior. He was initially committed and played at Florida. The, his early college career was um, a bit of a, a winding road, you could say. He played six games as a redshirt freshman at Florida in 2015. Uh, halfway through the season, he was uh, popped for testing positive for PEDs, so he was suspended for one full year. Transferred to West Virginia, sat out the 2016 season, but in the last two years at West Virginia, in Dana Holgerson's air raid offense, he's really thrived. Um, in his time, in his 22 games at West Virginia, he has a 10 flat adjusted yards per attempt, which is incredible, and a one and a very nice 169.2 passer rating. He's listed at 6'2 to 223, which I'm not quite sure if that's accurate. We'll have to see about that. Um, but one red flag I did want to point out again. Um, 
referencing back to what Matt said about Ryan Finley, Will Greer will also turn 24 before draft day, so he falls into that pretty uh, iffy cohort. <laughs> but again, some of the things I've read from scouts, um, they they point to his anticipation on throws as a real strength, um, being able to release the ball before receivers get out of their break, which you know the timing, the timing and the extra time that that takes becomes even more important at the next level when secondary. Uh, when NFL secondaries are so much better, but they also said that he may he he freelances a bit too much, um, which can get him in trouble. And they think that he'd probably be best suited in a uh, quick pass offense, some sort of West Coast variant. Um, but you know he's been extremely productive, um, but he is an older prospect. And again, I. I'm not quite sure where exactly I stand on Greer. He's obviously been a tremendous college quarterback, but that doesn't always necessarily translate to the NFL. But we have seen um, in recent uh, years, uh, former air raid quarterbacks in college really start to take over in the NFL. Mahomes, obviously, uh, Goff, um, Baker Mayfield is finally starting to play well, freed from Hugh Jackson. So, there's, you know, I think that Greer has a decent ceiling. It's, I really do think that it's more about fit for him, depending on where he lands, because he will be drafted, obviously, and I just think that fit will be pretty important for him at the next level. And I, and I do want to say one, th- add one thing to that age twenty four thing. The other name that isn't getting mentioned on that is uh, Kirk Cousins was over twenty four when he was drafted. He was just drafted outside of that top two rounds he was drafted since he was drafted in the fourth and russell wilson i think was right around that age too because i thought he was younger because but... he went because he was a graduate transfer at wisconsin because he played at nc state before then so i think he was close yeah. to 20 he was at least close to 24 anyway yeah so i mean it's it's not a death nail to be old it's just one of those things to kind of keep an eye on is there isn't a huge history of success well and especially um, when we're talking about kind of average middling type quarterbacks anyway it's just one more red flag to the list of things that we're already concerned about so yeah and and i think jordan did a pretty decent job covering will greer i will mention the two quarterbacks who we didn't do a deep dive on um that are probably going to be the more notable names that we left off one is daniel jones um daniel jones is my josh allen this year um career aya under seven um no season over seven uh, bare, not even a two to one touchdown interception ratio for his career, uh, career completion percentage under 60%. I know NFL scouts have started to like him. I don't care that he doesn't have talent around him. I'm concerned that he is not a good passer. So you can have him NFL scouts. I saw, um, I've seen a CBS mock that had him go in the top five. I vomited in my mouth a little bit. So We'll move on from that. The other name is Justin Herbert. Um, if Justin Herbert comes out, he's my quarterback one. Um, I I don't I think Drew Locke's really good, but if Justin Herbert comes out, he's the best prospect in this class. Um, and I think we've discussed him a lot this year, so we don't need to dive in too deep. Yeah, that's my bad. <laughs> oh, you're good. No, I just talk about him way too often. So <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's I think that's good. Let's let's move into uh, the recap from last week. We had a overall we had a really good week. Jordan refused to to play along with Matt and I, so he got a couple extra wrong. It's, but <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. You can say I I absolutely bombed last week, and there's really no getting around it. Um, we knew okay. someone would. Yeah, we knew it was either. It, it, I we said were it so during split. the pot. Yeah. Listen, if if I'm gonna brag about being like 10 2 and one two weeks prior i have to be able to stand up put my hand up in the air and say i'm an idiot like when it <laughs> happens it's it's just fair it's only well, fair well i mean i think uh, good lord hopefully everyone listening watched the oklahoma west virginia game i i mean it was it was pretty much a pick em. i think when we called it it was uh west virginia favored by one it came down to the wire 59 56 oklahoma pulled it out but what a freaking awesome game. Did you guys love that or, or, or what? It, I mean, it was fun. It was one of those games. It was actually, for as much uh, grief as we're going to give Oklahoma's defense, and rightfully so, two their touchdowns. defense scored two touchdowns yeah. for them. So Oklahoma does not win this game um, without uh, two touchdowns. And we can also throw out there, and this is big, 
Oklahoma let up less points than LSU this week. So whose defense is bad? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I agree. Like, obviously the points are fun. And I think that we saw, you know, we kind of saw this coming that it was going to be high scoring clearly, but West, I mean, there were instances where West Virginia's defense was just, I mean, I don't even really know how to describe the magnitude of the breakdowns. Like it's just incredible to watch some of those touchdowns. And, and, and the thing is like Oklahoma's offense is already on a historically, you know, efficient pace. They don't need help. Right. Like, they do not need help to do this. They can do it against anybody. So when you drop eight in coverage, sag all the way down to the five yard line when you're, when they're at the 15 and there's receivers just running around in the end zone wide open. Like, I don't know, man. I, I just, I could not have seen that coming. I, I knew that Oklahoma would score, but I honestly thought that West Virginia's defense would be able to present at least some resistance. Um, but I was wrong. Yeah. And <laughs> I think, I think in your article this week, didn't you call for the, I know you were calling for it recently, the Kennedy Brooks breakout. Yeah. Oklahoma. Yeah. So I was, uh, when I, I was looking at the box score afterwards, I was, Sort of shocked to see how dominant he really was. I mean, 21 carries for 182 and a touchdown. Heck, in this game, that might be a, a bad game by comparison. He only scored once, but hey, he he took uh, he took the opportunity by the horns and just ran with it. Yeah, he's doing really. Yeah, yeah, he's doing really amazing things. I mean, I I again, I still like Trey Sermon long term, but but what Kennedy Brooks is doing with all the injuries when he probably wasn't even expecting to play that much this year. It's, it's a testament to him and to the system. Obviously Lincoln Riley is one of the best offensive minds in the game, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for Brooks. He's, he's blowing up like the uh, yards after contact metrics on PFF. Um, he's definitely an interesting dude to watch moving forward. Yeah. And we've talked about him uh, for a couple weeks now. I mean, I, I think I called, uh, attention to him back when they play Texas way back in the beginning of this, um, not way back in the beginning, but you know what I'm saying? So he's, he's someone that's definitely been, been gaining, uh, gaining some, some speed as the season has gone on, but he's definitely looking, looking really good in it. I mean, when Anderson went down, I think we were all a little bit not concerned, but curious as to what would take place with this running game. And he's done a really good job of, uh, balancing out Trey Sermon's, uh, approach. So it's been, it's been really good. It was interesting Right at the same, I was watching this game as as well as the Washington Washington State game, and I think it was the exact same. Like within like three seconds of uh, the the second defensive touchdown for Oklahoma is when Gaskins busted off an eighty yard touchdown in the snow that kind of sealed the win for Washington um, in Pullman against Washington State. Now that game was a three and a half points that Washington State was favored. And, and the Huskies just kind of blew them out the water. And I think a lot of the reason for that was, as everyone knows, like it was being played in like some significant snow. And that's really going to slow down this, this air raid type offense that, that uh, Washington State likes to play. But it went right into the hands of the Huskies. And they really took advantage of their desired style of play. And yeah, I thought Miles Gaskin looked really, really good. They didn't have to rely on, on Browning, which I think is is always a good thing if you're a Husky fan. So yeah, it was a, it was a pretty dominant display. And now here, here's Washington getting ready to play for the Pac-12 championship. What did you guys uh, think of this one? Um, I was happy to see Gaskin finally continue to show why I've been uh, such a big fan of his. This is what you want from a workhorse back. You want him to get be able to handle the workload, handle, um, I don't want to say the clock management, but it's nice to have a runner you can trust. And when he gets the opportunity to break a big run, he does. Um, 173 touchdowns. I'm thrilled to see that as a guy who owns some shares of Gaskin and in Debbie leagues. Um, I think this is just I, in the same way we'll get to Ohio state, Michigan. This is sort of like a big brother, little brother scenario where right. I just think, it's going to take something when for Washington state to get over the hump in this one, because Washington or Washington is really, really well coached. And if they've got more talent than uh, Washington state, it's always going to be, it's going to take something special and Gardner Minshew. I mean, the snow helps slow him down a lot. So yeah. And Washington state averaged uh, just a hair over four yards per play in this game. So 
I mean, true testament to Washington's defense, uh, you know, with the weather or not, they they really did their job. And the only thing I would add real quick is Hunter Bryant, the tight end for Washington. Um, he's been banged up this year, but he, he played really well. He had three catches for 108 yards on just three targets. So he showed some explosive ability. He's he's a smaller, smaller tight end, like more in a move tight end, I think, uh, mold. But he's kind of an interesting guy moving forward at the tight end position. And just think how good Washington's going to be next year when they don't have Jake Browning and they have Jacob Eason at quarterback. Oh man! Yeah, they're they're going to be they're going to be they're going to be dangerous. Did you guys see Jimmy Lakes, the defensive coordinator for Washington? Did you see what he said about um, Mike Leach after the game? No. <laughs> it, it was a, it was a good blast. I'll, I'll read oh wait, it was it the? Uh... The, they do the same thing every year. So yeah. We just ha- yeah, yeah. So he's like, yeah. So he basically he said, uh, I hope Coach Leach stays around for a long time because <laughs> because we are just killing them because they try to do the same thing every year and it's just not not working. So yeah, it, he put him on blast. I thought it was pretty good. You don't you don't see that much from from a Peterson coach team. So Jimmy Lake going out there was was a lot of fun. I don't think he'll be around very much longer. I think he's going to get snapped up pretty quick because he's done just a phenomenal job with that Washington defense. Uh, all right, let's get to the uh, to your main event here, Matt. Michigan thirty nine, Ohio State sixty two. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I said I was nervous going into this game, uh, um, and it was because I didn't know how good Ohio State would be on offense, and but I think Michigan's defense got a little bit exposed, and the concerns that they really hadn't faced an explosive offense yet kind of proved to be true. I mean, you could argue that Penn State should have been an explosive offense, but they were coming in there pretty beat up. I mean, Ohio State's really good on offense, and I think we should kind of look at them in the same way that we look at Oklahoma now, which is the fact that Ohio State's defense isn't great, isn't going to win them a lot of games in the way that we thought they were, but their offense could put up 40 points on literally any team. I say that they didn't do that this year, but... I was kind of right with my read on this, which was that Michigan's offense wasn't explosive enough to really scare me. So Higdon's a good running back. I still really like him for the future, but it's that's not the type of team that's going to beat Ohio State. So I'm really excited, and I didn't want them in the playoff. Now, going back to your scenario you put earlier with do I want Haskins uh, or the playoff, I would love a playoff because this team against Alabama would actually be quite fun to watch. Oh, yeah, I agree with that for sure. Yeah, and uh, no, I was just going to say, I, I, I agree. I think Ohio State is, and, and don't take this the wrong way, Matt, but I think they're kind of an Oklahoma light because I do still think that Oklahoma's offense is better. And I think but our there's defense a gap. is 10% better than theirs. There you go. Well, yeah, so I mean, it's, I'm agreeing with you in theory. I'm yeah, just yeah. saying, no, it, you're right. it's, I, I think it's a definitely a, a, a good analogy. Um, and I, you know, I was just, I was just wrong on this game flat out. Like I, I honestly did not think that Ohio State's defense would, you know, they ended up, they ended up giving up 39 points, but a lot of those, the, this game was over before it got to that point. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a misleading final score for Michigan, but you know, hats off to Ohio State. They did what they needed to do. They, they channeled the energy at home in the big game and, and, Man, Harbaugh just—they—this th- is an issue. I—I I, I don't know. Like, I was—I was thinking about it, and and Michigan at ten and two, generally ten win season is good for most teams. But I feel like this has to be looked at as a disappointment because everything was lined up. It was right in front of them. They took—they took care of business here. They were in the playoff almost certainly. So, I don't know. I mean, you're pretty spoiled when ten wins is bad, but it, you kind of get the feeling that this—it just is not cutting it. But I mean, John Cooper got fired from Ohio State pretty much because he could not beat Michigan. So, I mean, I, I oh, think. Oh, dude, Ohio State spoiled the same way. Like, oh, no offense, I, I, but I mean. I, but I just mean that in the same way. I mean, like, if you everyone's sitting here thinking, oh, well, he, we're still 10 and 2, we're still 10 and 2. Ohio State fired a coach basically because they could not beat Michigan. Sure. So, if you're Michigan fans, I don't think you're wrong to be start getting a little bit. Anxious at least. Him. Yeah. Anxious at least. That's all. Especially I'm when they spent all week coming out there 
I mean, everyone was guaranteeing win. This is the team that was supposed to beat them. And the truth is, I've seen the recruiting numbers for the ne- last or for the next couple of seasons. The talent gap might get bigger. Like they're not, and they're gonna lose Shea Patterson. He's already declared for the NFL. The talent gap's gonna increase. This was their shot. I. Agreed. If I'm a Michigan fan, I'm really nervous, but I'm Agreed. not, so I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, a couple of things. It was inter- interesting to me that the game was, it was like a super tight game at halftime. I mean, it was, uh, no, it, wasn't. it was 21-20. Well, yeah, it was a super tight game on the scoreboard, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, but, but, State... but that's what I'm saying. I mean, <laughs> well, that's this, how we decide games here. I mean, well, I get that, but I mean, <laughs> but, but it was, was one of those things where Ohio State did everything. It was like, you're right. You're right. I'm just saying like, uh, I talk. I give too, way too many Seattle Seahawks examples. I'm going to do it again. Like they were, com- the Seahawks were completely outplayed by Carolina, but they managed to go into halftime only down three, and that's where they were able to come back and win the game. So even though you're outplayed, if it's close on the scoreboard, getting into halftime, making adjustments, so much can change. But what was interesting to me is that it it didn't seem like Michigan was able to make any adjustments. And then you had the block punt, and then it was over. Paris Campbell's run was amazing. I I think I counted close to ten explosive plays. For Ohio State, here's my recommendation to to the coaching staff for Ohio State is instead of having like nice little, if you ever get inside the 10-yard line, just take a couple of five-yard penalties, get back to the 15 or 20-yard line so you have a lot of room to pass the football because that's the best way to score. I think almost all, but like maybe only one touchdown was scored from within the 10-yard the line or five-yard line at least. Um, everything yeah. was these big plays and, and they just were able to exploit. And, and so many of the d- touchdown passes, the guys were just wide open. And, uh, yeah, I, I was really impressed by Ohio state. I didn't get to watch this one live cause I was cutting down a Christmas tree and I was driving back from the middle of nowhere snowstorm in the mountains. And I saw the score and I was like, Holy shit, I have to watch this game again. <laughs> so I went home and watched the replay and I was just amazed by it. And uh, But knowing the score, going into it and watching it, you could feel it coming. Uh, but I was surprised because I knew the score going in that at halftime it was still so close. That's all I was, that's all I was trying to say. But, man, I, well, I, 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 uh, yeah. I touched a nerve there, didn't I? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I'm defensive. No. Uh, well, two, my, I have two players that I should mention really quick. One is, and this really hurt Michigan, is when Devin Bush went down, they don't have the depth to recover. So once he went out of the game, the game was really, really over at that point. It was already pretty much done. Once he went out, their defense looked decimated. And if he can't, if he is seriously hurt, I haven't seen really any reports on it. If he is really hurt, they're in trouble in a bowl game. And number two is Chris Olave. Probably a lot of people didn't know him coming into this game. He's only on the field because Austin Mack got hurt, but he is a future star at Ohio State, and I am so excited by what I saw from him. Not only did he score his first career touchdown, he followed up with another touchdown on a pretty ridiculous uh, catch, actually. He had to make a late cut, and it was really nice. And then followed all that up with a blocked punt that turned into a touchdown. If there was any... Uh, buddy who did, was not aware of him as an Ohio State fan, they are fully aware of him now, and you should be excited moving forward. Yeah, I think he was definitely one of the players that that, that popped. Him and Paris Campbell, I thought, were uh, were huge huge for Ohio State. So, yeah, yep. let's let's get into the next one here. Uh, this was uh, one of two that we all got right, and for for a minute there, it looked like uh, Alabama wouldn't be able to 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 get enough points to do it but they uh they put on a show in the second half alabama ends up winning 52 to 21 another game where where big brother beats up on little brother yeah i two two is god you know at this point like um it's it's just really just wild what what he's able to do and i you know we again we know about alabama's offense and again they showed up here but this defense i think is starting to round in the form they auburn only managed 3.8 yards per play uh the national average is about 5.7 so absolutely smothering on defense they completely confused frustrated shut down jared stidham he averaged about three yards per attempt i think in this game like you said, it was it was tight. You know, it was it was competitive, close early on. But then I guess the talent and depth just kind of shows out near the end, which Alabama is the most talented and deepest team in the country. So I guess that's what we should expect. Yeah, I think 
I think you're right. At, Auburn only being able to score 21 points doesn't shock me. They're actually really relying upon their defense this year. I mean, offensive S&P Plus only has them as the 45th best team, which isn't bad, but it's definitely not really great. And it's kind of why I'm looking – I want Alabama to play Oklahoma or Ohio State because I kind of want to see how their defense reacts to a good – a very, very good offense. And I'm not sure they've played a really good offense yet this year. So uh, that'll be interesting. Um, I have to take my uh, normal shot at Damian Harris, only averaging 4.6 a carry. Um, I, it's prob- It's good for most running backs, but if you're wanting to be a pro, it's really not good. Um, Jerry Judy is awesome. Can't wait to uh, start actually spending a lot of time scouting him next year. They're so deep at receiver this year, and it's kind of a a buck from the tradition for Alabama because we're so used to them just leaning on running backs, leaning on running backs. They're so loaded at the receiver position that I could spend probably 10 minutes on each of their receivers and maybe not still not have given them enough time. Maybe that's to making them look great, but they seem to have a lot of talent there. So anyone who plays against them, I I really don't even know if trying to stop them consistently, I don't know if a good defense is the way to beat them. I really think you're going to have to get a team that's just going to try and say, whatever, we're going to give up 50, let's try and score 60. Yeah, that sounds like the sooner way right there. Or Buckeye. Yeah, well, yeah, sure, sure, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, let's uh, let's speed things up as we go through these last two. Uh, the one I was <laughs> so convinced about was Notre Dame at USC. Uh, they needed 10.5. They only won by 7, so we all got this one wrong. Uh, to me, kind of watching, I watched a lot of this game. I, I kind of walked away feeling like Notre Dame was happy just to get out with a win. They weren't too concerned about... They just didn't want to lose. They didn't want to make any big mistakes. Ian Book didn't really... Uh, push push the envelope much, and they they relied on defense and running the ball and didn't and didn't try to do too much out of the ordinary, and that's why it was kind of close. But uh, feel free to correct me if you think I'm I'm off there. I'm starting to question if Ian Book is actually an elite quarterback or if he's just done well against not a great schedule this season. Because I'm not positive he was the best quarterback on the field that night. JT Daniels actually impressed me. It takes a lot to go up against that uh, Notre Dame defense, which I do think is really good, and put together a performance like he had. I was surprised to see this game was close, and I was, but at the same time, like USC should have been winning by more at halftime, and the fact that they weren't was about when they were only up by three going into half. I knew the game was over. I knew Notre Dame was going to take it because everything pretty much seemed to go wrong for Notre Dame in the first half. And everything was sort of leaning towards USC. And then you knew once a little bit of momentum started coming uh, Notre Dame's way that it was going to swing pretty heavily. Bummed out they didn't cover because then I would have had a perfect week. But it is what it is. Real quickly, I just wanted to mention Tyler Vaughn's USC wide receiver. Uh, He caught 12 of his 14 targets for 120 yards and a touchdown, uh, including some really pretty spectacular sideline catches with uh, excellent body control and uh, getting feet in. So just wanted to, to mention that real quick. Yeah, and I thought Miles Boykin looked really, really good. He had some nice catches, but he also just had a monster block that uh, got Dexter Williams in the end zone. Um, so, yeah, some some nice performances there. All right, now on to uh, everyone's most anticipated match of the weekend, Oregon <laughs> at Oregon State. Uh, Oregon just blew blew this game open early 55 15 i don't know i i doubt many people watch this game outside of myself it's the civil war everyone saw it right so (laughs) herbert got injured uh on the last offensive snap for oregon in the first half and in the second half oregon threw the ball all of two times i don't know if you guys have checked the box score but Travis Dye ended the game with 199 Jeez. rushing yards, and Verdell had 187 rushing yards. So they decided, yeah, Burmeister, we, we're not going to let you mess this one up for us. We're going to let our boys take us home. And they ended the game with 392 total rushing yards, uh, which is pretty phenomenal, if you ask me. So yeah, they just they just took care of business. It was it was pretty easy. They didn't have to to worry too much about Oregon State at any point in this game. I think Jake. Jake Glutton, um, the quarterback for Oregon State, was just completely 
overwhelmed. He ended up throwing two interceptions. He had, he had a nice yardage for the day, 280 yards, but a lot of it just came at kind of inconsequential time. So Oregon really took care of business. I thought they looked really good. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Herbert does. I think it was interesting that we were talking so much about how he's been healthy all year and then he took the shot and missed half a game. I think he'll be fine. I don't think it's anything uh, major, but definitely something. Don't put him back in the game. Right, right. And I mean, Verdell, as a freshman, what a game. He ended the game with five total touchdowns. So, I mean, just a monster game and 200 total yards. So, uh, definitely someone, the freshman running back. So it'll be fun to see what he and Die do moving forward. I think they could have a, a fun little career in Oregon. I don't know if you guys want to add anything or not, but um, the one thing I'll add is uh, it's kind of impressive for Oregon. The is that they kind of bottled up Je- or Jamar Jefferson of Oregon State, um, held him to three yards a carry on 21 carries. That's pretty much where Oregon State's offense goes. Is it, it goes through Jefferson. So keeping him kind of in check, it's a good sign for your defense, at least for next year. Yeah, cool. On to the bonus round. Jordan, you, you were on Utah State at Boise State. The game didn't really end score-wise as, as close as we may have hoped. Uh, what, what was your takeaway from it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, was kind of a, it was kind of an S&P plus play. Uh, it really loved Utah State, and I know it's really hard to – it's really hard to pick against Boise State at home, which I guess I should have learned. But uh, Utah State, I think, is still a good team. Um, but for Boise, it's a matchup against Fresno State this week, uh, who they beat in Week 11, uh, which should be another really good game if you are into Mountain West Conference kind of things. Matt, your Cincinnati pick hit? Well, uh, their spread was 18 and a half. They won by 50, so <laughs> well done. I felt pretty good, felt pretty good about that one. Uh, I I really like this UC team. I'm rooting for Luke Fickle a lot. I think that I would I seriously want to see them play against Kentucky because even I know it's impossible for it to happen, but if it happened, it would be so much fun locally. So I like this team a lot. I think they'll be someone to contend with in the American over the next few years. Yeah, that's great. I picked Florida to beat Florida State. And they destroyed them. The final score was 41-14. And yeah, I think Willie Taggart's got a lot of work to do this offseason. But let's get into the Week 14 picks. Let's start off with the Pac-12 championship. We've got Utah versus Washington. Washington favored by six. Jordan, what's your take on this one? Well, <laughs> this, is, this is tough because I, I obviously I was wrong about Washington last week. Um, They've struggled against the spread this year. They're only three and nine. Um, Utah has scored 30 or more points in seven of the last eight games, despite being without their QB one and their RB one. I do think that Washington is the more talented team, but I'm going to lean towards Utah with the points, hoping that this is going to be kind of like a low scoring tight game. Um, and I think the coaching matchup is pretty even, but high level on both sides. So this is a tough one, but uh, in this kind of situation, I tend to just try and take the points and hope for a low-scoring game. Yeah, I'm exactly in the same spot with you. I was actually surprised that it was as high as six-point difference. I think Washington probably wins, but not by that much. What do you think, Matt? And I guess we'll uh, call this one a clean sweep here. Uh, I just It's too many points for me. I think Utah's defense is a better matchup for Washington than Washington State was. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to the SEC, Alabama versus Georgia. Matt, why don't we start with you? So I, 13, I said Sorry, earlier, 13 and a half points. So I said earlier that I, I was kind of wondering how good Alabama would be when they actually faced a really good offense. This is the chance for them to face a really good offense. Right now, uh, Georgia is uh, number three in offensive S&P+. Um, uh, Bill Conley only has this as a th- uh, projected margin of 3.2 points. I'm getting like 10 points here. I'm, I'm just going to go with Georgia to keep it close, even though in my heart I'm kind of rooting really hard for Alabama to smoke them. Yeah, I'm also going to take Georgia and the points – um, something interesting I saw from CFE film room today on Twitter, they do an adjusted completion percentage, which is basically completions, uh, plus drops divided by attempts minus throwaways. 
So it kind of incorporates a little bit more nuance into the completion percentage number. Say that three and times fast. My, yeah, I know. Sorry. I'm trying to move along. But my boy, Jake Fromm, who I feel like I try to stand up for just about every week, but he just gets lost in the shuffle. Um, he actually has a better adjusted completion percentage than Tua. Uh, Fromm's is 75% flat. Tua is a 73.2. So, I mean, it's not a, you know, the gap isn't that big, but I just want to, I just think that Fromm is having a really strong season. He's obviously not getting the recognition. His numbers aren't as big, but I think his efficiency combined with DeAndre Swift and Elijah Holyfield, um, the duo in the backfield, like we said, similar to Chubb and Michelle, I think from last year, I think that they can do enough to keep this close. But you forget that Tua is God. You said it yourself. Well, Fromm is the Holy Spirit or something. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm picking Bama. I, I'm not picking against them. Uh, not when it's less than, I mean, it's less than two touchdowns. I think they all end up, I think it might feel closer in the third quarter. And then Alabama, as usual, will end up pulling away at the end. Uh, so give me Bama. Uh, those two, two touchdowns don't scare me. Clemson versus Pitt. The only reason this one's even slightly difficult is because the line is so crazy. 27 and a half points. Jordan, why don't we start with you? Who are you taking in this one? I mean, this feels terrible. Like, I don't even really like thinking about it's this. Gross. But at 27 and a half, I'm doing it. I'm taking, I'm taking the points. I'm taking Pitt. It feels terrible. I know that I'm probably going to be wrong, but that just feels like a lot of points Pitt played Notre Dame tough I know you know now we might think a little bit differently in Notre Dame but they played them tough early in the year they've won four of their last five they're averaging 33 points a game in those in those games um and also I think something interesting Clemson obviously needs a win here would like to win the ACC title but I don't think they necessarily need to blow Pitt out to get there yeah I don't know if that will necessarily play a factor I don't know if Dabo Sweeney really gives a shit quite honestly but it's just another little piece of nuance that i think would be interesting um so just a slight lean with pit with all those points finally i get to go against jordan um <laughs> it's been i mean it's a lot of points i it's probably too many points it's also the number one defense according to SP plus uh going against the 51st offense I believe Trevor Lawrence is going to be able to put up 40 on basically any defense he plays. Um, so whatever. Uh, if Pitt can score 20, I will be astonished. Yeah, I am actually going to lean with Jordan on this one. Uh, I, I actually kind of like the. I was thinking the same thing along the lines of Clemson will have the game wrapped, wrapped up and, and ready to go by halftime. And I don't know if they push the envelope much after that, knowing that they're going to be number two in the country regardless. So I, I think they kind of take the foot off the gas. Uh, and and I think the I think they end up winning by 24. Give me Pitt. Dabo's never taken his foot off ass ever. <laughs> well, we shall see. I'm, I'm just saying what I think might take place. Texas versus Oklahoma. We've got the rematch. I was surprised again at the line on this. Oklahoma is favored to win. The line is seven and a half when I last saw it which is a pretty big number considering Texas beat them. And I know it was a close game at the end of it, but for a while there, it was looking like a blowout. Matt, what do you think? So I actually went back and looked at uh, the matchup uh, using Bill Conley's statistical profile. And he actually, not only did he think that the game was very close, which surprised me, he actually thought Oklahoma deserved to win that game pretty comfortably and that they got pretty unlucky. I think he had the uh, margin as Oklahoma should have won by uh, 13 points and that Texas's post-game win expectancy was only 8%. That's insane to me. I, I watched a lot of that game. Texas was pretty comfortably in control. And when all else fails, go back to Tom Herman as an underdog. Since he's joined Texas in 2017 as an underdog, he is 7-1-1 one one against the spread. I don't care. I'm going with it. I'm on Texas as well, um, getting over a touchdown. I just three of three of Oklahoma's last four wins have been by five points or less. They've all been typically high scoring. Oklahoma's defense is pretty much the only reason why they aren't blowing teams out. And I lean on Sam Ellinger, um, little Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson. I think they can do damage in that Oklahoma secondary. We saw Will Greer absolutely destroy that secondary last last week. And I think Elliger can do similar things. So 
Um, I'll take the team getting more than a touchdown. Give me Texas. Yeah, this one's a sweep. I, I want to take Oklahoma, but that defense is just too bad. Oklahoma will, will win this game, but I, I think they just can't slow anyone down. So I think Texas will be able to keep up scoring points and ends up being a close one. Oklahoma by four. All right. Northwestern versus your Ohio State Buckeyes, Matt. 14 and a half. Going? 14 and a half points. Go okay, you're right, going. Fine. No, no, no. You'll go last. Jordan. North, I'll go first. How about that? I think this one's, <laughs> I think this one's, to me, this one's really easy, and I always get the easy ones wrong. But give me the Buckeyes. I don't think they're going to be able to, I don't think Northwestern's going to be able to slow them down. We just saw what they did to Michigan. I think they're going to put up a lot of points, and Northwestern won't be able to keep up. I know they've got good quarterback play this year, but it won't be enough. Give me the Buckeyes. I also want Ohio State. A couple things. Um, Haskins is really good. We know that. But he is in a really good spot here. Northwestern's defense ranks 98th in the country in opponent's completion percentage and 122nd in sack rate. So he should have a pretty comfortable pocket to throw from. Um, Northwestern really doesn't create many big plays, which we know has been Ohio State's weakness on defense. And obviously a huge motivational factor for Ohio State here because not only do they need a win, but I think that they need a substantial margin to try and get to where they're trying to go. So it kind of an inverse from Clemson. I think that Ohio state, if given the opportunity, they will just continue to kick Northwestern in the head if they can. Yeah. So yeah. Um, give me Ohio state. And uh, I, no shocker. I'm on Ohio state as well. Um, I don't, what I kind of am stuck on is I don't think they can really gain the same level of ground that they gained a few years ago by beating up on Wisconsin, just because Northwestern has no national credibility, even though they're a very good team um, to go a little bit further on that. Uh, remember I, the reason I wasn't afraid of Michigan last week is because they were like 60th in marginal explosiveness, marginal explosiveness on offense. Northwestern's 124th on offense. I am not afraid of their offense moving the ball at all. And Ohio state is going to go out there and probably put up 60 points again. So I, all I need is for them to hold Northwestern under 40, and I feel great. So Ohio State pretty easily. All right, it's a sweep. We got we got a lot of sweeps this 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 time around. So I learned my lesson. Yeah, <laughs> we'll join the happens. team. <laughs> all right, let's go to the we bonus. all go, if we go down, we go down together. That's so. right. That's... All for one and one for all. The bonus round, Matt. Why don't you you start us off there? So the game I was looking at this week is uh, Buffalo, which is a really fun offense. And they have one of my favorite players in college football, Anthony Johnson. I believe they're 9-3 and three against the number this year. And as a favorite, they're also about 75% win percentage. Going up against a uh, Northern Illinois team that is, I believe, 500 against the number. Buffalo's offense scores a lot. Take them. They're also really fun to watch. So uh, it's... It was slim pickings, obviously, with a short slate, but I'm going to take Marshall getting four and a half at Virginia Tech. Now, this is actually an S&P Plus play. Bill Conley likes Marshall to actually win outright by six points, so it's a pretty substantial gap. They had the seventh best defense in the country per S&P Plus, which was kind of surprising to me. Their offense is not great, but um, yeah, so, you know, short slate. This is kind of one that stuck out. Not a great, uh, not super high confidence, but one to keep an eye on out for. I'm going to go to the Memphis-UCF game. Tough, tough for McKenzie. Uh, Milton, really brutal injury. Uh, hope for the best for him. I think the team rallies behind him. I think they rely on Greg McRae, the running back, who ended last week's game with 181 and three touchdowns. And I think they'll be able to uh, to win this game over Memphis by by at least a touchdown. I don't think it'll slow them down just yet. I think losing him means they don't have a shot at the playoff anymore. I don't think the committee is going to want them they in. They never did. But this definitely, uh, this this game I think they, they will be able to handle. Uh, Three-point spread shouldn't be too too hard for them to to cover. On positive news, Mackenzie Milton did regain blood flow to his leg today. So it's at yeah, least that's a, awesome. It's a good sign that he's not going to lose his leg. Right. Yeah, man, it's brutal. Brutal, brutal, brutal. All right, on that on that really depressing so note. I, I, on that sky high note. note. See y'all later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Matt, where, where can everyone find you? 
You can find me uh, at Wispy the Kid on Twitter, and I should have something out later this week on Roto Baller for Dynasty League Scouting. And I'm on Twitter at jhoover9787. Uh, my last When the Devi Breaks will be coming out later this week, the last one for the season. But keep an eye out over the next couple months because we're going to be doing a ton of bowl prospect type stuff um, over on Rotoviz. So keep an Dips eye out. on Tyler Johnson. Yeah. You got it. And we'll be sure to retweet that from, from the account, from the show account. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at StayFunLaco. I've also got another podcast that I work on called Is This It? So check that out. It's on iTunes and all the other places. Thank you so much for listening. We're looking forward to another really fun, exciting week of football. I hope. (laughs) All right. We'll catch you guys next time. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2. Excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9 Excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.